0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Much to everyone's sincere disappointment, I'm sure, this is not actually a solo episode, but what did happen is our guest this week is so awesome and we hit it off so well that Dylan and I just jumped right in having a conversation and we forgot to do our typical intro, so I came back in time to record this. So we're going to dump you right back into our conversation here in a minute. Um, But I want to introduce our guest for the week. Our guest today is Patrick Robertson. Patrick is a third-generation contractor who focuses on residential home building. Two years ago, he opened his own construction company and named it Momentous Building, upon the desire to provide the best construction experience and product possible. The company operates out of Westchester County, New York, and completes high-end remodeling, additions, and new construction projects. Patrick's focus on excellence, integrity, and relationships are the driving values that propel momentous building forward. His goal for the company is to provide more than just finished product, but to build new spaces, allowing homeowners to create lifelong memories. Trust me, guys, you don't want to miss this episode. Patrick is a kick-ass, cool dude, and you're going to want to hear every bit he has to say about construction and everything he's doing in the residential building and remodeling industry. With that, I'm going to dump us right into the conversation. So, guys, welcome to the show.
1: Here in the Sears, we've gotten like three feet of snow. It's a bunch of snow. It hasn't stopped since like Thursday, snowing. But yet, like, so in clearing our roads here, like, let me give this for context. We have uh, belly graders that six-wheel, you know, all-wheel drive, your six-wheel drive, right, that are all chained. They have two blades on them those are our snow plows, right? That's how much snow we get here. So, and then they have like a front end loader, like a cat, uh, front end loader is like the other plow. And then they'll go through with like other little trucks on occasion, you know, to get the scraps of, uh, snow and slush that's left over. Like that's how much snow we get here in the mountains. And so in that I've still seen like on Friday, there was a, um, food truck, all chained up, backed up to our local pizza place, delivering food. The FedEx uh, delivered yesterday, uh, Sunday as of this recording. So they delivered Sunday for us. The UPS guy was chained up and like backed up our driveway to give me my um, package, which it was a nice shot glass that'll go in my office with uh, like one of the bullets in the side of it and uh, some other apparel. But like for everybody out there, I just want to take this like moment to thank all those like truck drivers and guys that are still making stuff like happen. They're still delivering, you know, even in the snow, um, lot of your job sites, I'm sure it's probably the same way where those guys are still delivering stuff in pretty like bad conditions, you know, it might not be there quote on time, but. Those guys are still out there working, and I just want to take, you know, a few minutes to thank those guys for, like, you still see them out there. I've seen, you know, four or five semis driving today. Everybody's chained up, you know, <laughs> getting food deliveries to, like, our local uh, grocery store, to local restaurants, all that kind of stuff. And when conditions are like this, I think we're in a blizzard warning or the blizzard is here. Um, you know, those guys are still out working. So
0: um, just goes for saying yeah man, those guys are the blue collar badasses, right? I mean, they don't have the option of sitting inside in a cushy little office with the heat on, you know, when it when it gets too crappy outside.
1: Yeah, they're they're still driving, you know, they're making sure it's chained up and we have like chain control on our mountains, right? So what that means is they actually check you for chains, right? If you're in a Toyota Corolla, you better have chains on, right? If you're like my wife driving a Jeep, they just ask if you're carrying chains. Um But everybody gets, you know, chain checked on our mountain because otherwise, you know, it's just complete chaos with all the people that don't know how to drive in snow. Cause again, like you gotta remember 30 minutes from here, 20 minutes from here and there's no snow. Right. And so, people from the valley and mm. stuff like that where it's you know it's raining or whatever but they don't have to deal with snow and like cold conditions so um just i wanted to put that out there as you know we're going through this stuff and i just keep seeing semis
0: you know drive through and, and doing what they need to do that's good man they, they keep us moving we, we we're not even allowed to use chains here in michigan so i don't even know what that looks like but we just slip and slide and you know hopefully you don't hit anything <laughs>
1: Oh uh, all right. With that, um Patrick, thank you for coming on the show today. Um Patrick's a third generation contractor out of Westchester County. I love how you guys do everything by county in New York, right? It's or like by borough, right? So yeah. <laughs> pick borough and and like out here, you know, nobody I mean we do refer to ourselves in counties, but it's uh it's always cool. Like New Yorkers, I feel like you guys refer to everything as a county uh but is a residential remodeler and custom home builder so with that patrick take it
2: away. Oh, thank you so much dylan yeah so we don't have change here in new york either um maybe up by albany and, and buffalo but yeah. right now where we're at it's just tires and you know personally i grew up on atvs and quads and snowmobiles so when it gets snowing out like i have a good time out in the snow only one on the road and it's a blast but So a little about me. I mean, that really, really covers it. I've been in construction my whole life. Um, If you're on video, I'm a pretty, pretty young guy, um, but I love it. I was on, you know, growing up, my father owns a company. So I grew up all the way working in the field doing labor since middle school. And, you know, that love hate relationship of sweating all day long or being freezing cold, but then also building something with your hands. It's, it's rewarding enough to endure the pain and you look back at the end of the day when you're tired and beat up and you're like that was a good day that was a good day
0: heck yeah man and i'm with you in the snow i i shut off my traction control when it's like this and and see how far i can i can drift it and slide around the corners but
2: <laughs> yeah yeah um
0: so you grew up in construction do your you said your dad owned a company
2: yeah my, oh he still does he actually owns a residential construction company Funny enough, we kind of have a very similar business model of how we we do it. We're general contractors. So, you know, we have our, our crews in-house, you know, a few guys that are some key guys to help us navigate the job sites, get some d- things done. Usually that falls under like the finished carpentry because those guys are just so skilled at everything that they can really tackle a lot of different tasks on the jobs and finish up, you know, the in-between trade type work that kind of happens on residential uh, so, but yeah, and I, I opened, I grew up that my whole life and then I opened up my own company after, you know, we sort of butt heads father and son thing. I opened up my own company about two years ago. So it's been a, a wild ride through all that, but it's super exciting. Now, are you, uh, in your
0: County, are you, are you close enough to, uh, to your old man to compete with him or you guys kind of stay separate, uh, sides of the fence?
2: Yeah. So I love this question on competition because I get it all the time when it comes <laughs> up and we say we're in the same business. We are literally operating out of the same zip code. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But what people don't understand about competition, especially in construction, right. They have this limiting mindset of what, like how much work is actually out there, right. If there's 20 architects, probably more, right. That are drawing drafting for residential alone in a 15, 20 mile radius, right do you really think you're going to be able to snatch up a project basically every single week as they come out right as one every single week and that there's probably way more than that so like you would have to be doing like 250 million in like a 20 mile radius which would be absurd in residential so yeah like on paper we're in competition but not reality right I mean, the reality is we work together. It's like, hey, Dad, I have this problem. It's like, hey, Patrick, do you, you know, do you know anything about this new product that just came out? Or like, I'm like, hey, Dad, check this thing, cool thing that came out. Like, that's what it really comes down to. is that it's a lot more cooperation, and it just makes everyone better.
0: That's cool, man. I like hearing stuff like that. It it doesn't always happen like that.
2: No, no, and I, the I think the beautiful blessing is that we argued a lot. We bumped heads a lot in the last probably six months, but I exited at the perfect time where like, I think if I stayed in another month together, we might've had some scars, you know, in our relationship, but now we get, I got out, um, we're father and son again and we're teammates are all on the same page. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's nice. I mean, a quick Google search, there's a million people in Westchester County. So you know, and then yeah. you go outside those county lines, you know, it's, there's a lot of people. So, yeah. especially in residential, I'm sure projects aren't uh, aren't hard to find. You know, throw a throw a stone and somebody's building something.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, you drive drive down the road. It's just like anywhere else in the country. You drive down the road, there's some construction project going on.
0: So you you grew up around construction your whole life, and I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of instilled it in you what was it that made you want to stay in it like did you and, and not just stay in it but start your own business you know starting starting a business in construction is crazy right we've all done yeah. it to some degree on this call um so you just do you enjoy getting kicked in the teeth every day or or you had something to prove or or do you really just love the industry that much you couldn't leave
2: this is a great question because i kind of faced this question twice in my life the first time was when i went to college so mm-hmm being that my father's an amazing father that he is, he said, "I no matter how much you want to work in construction and maybe work with me one day, you're going to go to college. Go get a degree. Go do something you want to do. Go get experience. So, you know, he pushed me to it, but then also the cultural norm is to go to college. So I went to college and got my engineering degree, right? Was going to go for civil, obviously, get to draw some cool projects and all stuff. And then I realized, like, I don't want to be sitting behind a computer all day. I don't want to be drafting and drawing all day long, or at least for the first, you know, X amount of years of my career, before I get elevated to in these different positions. Right. That, that didn't excite me. And then even at that, like, I wouldn't want to spend 75% of my time in an office or whatever it is. I don't know that, you know, the role of a, a senior engineer. So I actually took the track of doing industrial engineering which is engineering. But as we all know, the, it's really only the last few classes that distinguish between a mechanical engineer, civil engineer, and an industrial engineer. Mine had a lot more business practice to it. You know, there's three or four more classes in business, called process engineering, so system optimization. And I really like that. And ultimately through that four year journey through college, I realized that I wanted to get back into construction. So I went and worked commercial construction in Manhattan A little bit more exciting, pretty, got on some cool projects. I was at um, Spotify finishing up top floors. I was on Apple for a bunch of months. I built out Simon & Schuster's executive floors uh, down on Fifth Ave. Really, really excited. But ultimately, I didn't like the city. So, you know, that's when COVID kind of rolled around and decided to go back into working with my father. So I had that first initial one where it's like, Oh, man, like, I just don't want to be sitting around all day. Like I'm someone that's on my feet. I like getting out. I like talking to people. I like being outside. So that's what drew me back to construction, because I do like the building. I like the creation of it. I like the sciences behind it. Right. And then the second time was, is that after I was, you know, learning a whole bunch of my father's company, I was in a management role, project manager, estimating, dealing with clients and all stuff, getting my teeth kicked in on a daily basis, learning a whole bunch, I had to exit from you know his company the arguments just got too bad for about two weeks i didn't know what to do and then like i started to miss it i had clients calling me i'm like hey listen like i can't help i'm sorry like i'm not you know i'm not not anymore and then it's like i started missing it and all those different things and then i started to realize like i enjoy it right i think we all go through different things in life where it's like in the moment, we focus so much on the pain of the, the task, the activity, whatever it is. Maybe it's the gym, right? The gym is always the quintessential analogy because we all do it. And then we realize, like, we actually enjoy, like, that's what makes it partly enjoyable. And we all pick and choose our pain and construction as we in here pick, pick construction as our pain.
0: Oh, that, that's good, man. It, it's the struggle, right? It's the struggle that builds us. It's, yeah. it's where we learn everything, it's where we grow from. You don't grow by sitting on your ass and and eating Cheetos, right? And being stagnant. You, you grow by by going through it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what type of projects are you handling now, Patrick?
1: What are your kind of like bread and butter projects?
2: Yeah. So as as we're growing, we're focusing a lot of on remodeling in addition, right? Also, where we're at in Westchester County, it's kind of a seasoned market. So there's fewer new constructions getting pulled out of the ground. There's more of like an 80% remodel where basically it's a tear down or, you know, leave quarter of the house and build the back. Like, you know, I saw a house that was jacked up 15 feet the other day on stilts (laughs) and a brand new 4,500 square foot, probably foundation poured. The house is 15 feet on stilts. So like, that's the type of stuff we see around here. And um, there are some custom homes that are being built on new property, but that's kind of the area where I'm working in right now is this remodeling of high-end homes, um, custom home building in additions that, you know, quite frankly, it's really exciting, much more so than doing a spec house than, you know, it's like A, B system oriented, right? We have to use a lot of thinking. There's a lot of problems that come up, a lot of unknowns. Um, and dealing with that both on the construction side to make sure that this project comes out beautiful, but then also managing expectations, conveying information to the clients.
0: So you're doing remodeling, which means,
2: and that's where I started. I
0: started mm-hmm. residential remodeling. Um, so you're probably working right next to the homeowners a lot of the time. They they typically don't leave unless it's full scale, you know, gut and, and rebuild, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the hardest parts about remodeling. And it's also, the best way any company could differentiate themselves because especially in remodeling, but with any type of business, what people really remember is going to be the experience because really like 90% of contractors can make the project come out beautiful, right? We just don't know how long that's going to take and how much pain happened in between, between the contractor and the client, you know, was the billing all jacked up? Did they leave screws on the ground and then their dog stepped on it, right? Did, was there dust everywhere and then had to get their whole house clean because they forgot to put a poly you know, barrier or something like that. So that's where like the real differentiating factor I found in remodeling is, is that customer experience. And that's what I try to really focus on. But it's also the hardest part. I mean, no one's perfect here.
0: And, and it's no different in commercial, right? I mean, I don't have... My team doesn't have our clients typically standing next to them, you know, asking about paint colors... But you know, you still have to manage that experience and, and that relationship. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like you said, any any dumbass can build a building, right? It doesn't matter if it's a house yeah. or an office, right? It, it it's not Legos, um, but it goes together pretty much the damn same, right? As long mm-hmm. as you have a basic understanding, it's it's how you manage that expectation and experience and how you cultivate the relationship that is why you're succeeding. It's why anybody uh
2: anybody succeeds. Yeah. Yeah. There's always that, Hey, Betty, like, Betty and Susie walk into the project at eight o'clock at night on a Friday, you know, and they're like, just snooping around like Patrick, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? What's going on with this? And they're like, yeah. okay, you know, like, so let's, let's have a conversation here.
0: It, it's all good. You just got to keep your boundaries too, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: So with the type of construction that you're in, um, well, in probably that area, you're right. Everything's pretty much developed. There's no new builds, anything like that, unless it's complete, you know, tear down, remodel. Uh, where do you see construction kind of going? Granted, you know, being in New York or close to it, you have, you know, some of the most expensive buildings in the the country, if not the world, um, in, you know, the skyscrapers that are going up in, in New York, which is very in Manhattan very different than probably anyone else gets to deal with right like we just most of the rest of us don't deal with skyscrapers on that you know regular basis and then you have you know kind of the suburbs which is like most of the rest of America except it's just fully developed uh so where do you see with that kind of unique perspective in like some of the biggest most expensive buildings in the world to regular suburbia like where do you see construction kind of heading
2: it's it's kind of actually the same right as those we have like New York City as a quintessential right you got buildings from the 1800s down there right that the facades still up it still looks the same it still looks beautiful there's a lot of restoration and repair work but you know the differences that I've seen between commercial you know in in Manhattan and then say in a local you know neighborhood around here is the quality of the building so unlike, you know, Manhattan or these different things where you can just do a brand new fit out on on the floor, right? Like think about how many times the Empire State Building was gutted and then refinished, gutted and refinished just time and time again. But the actual structure itself, the utilities, like that's all good, right? That's still good. But the problem is in residential is that um, building science has dramatically changed from say the 50s until now and even really you know the 90s right so we have a lot of problems with rot and these structures that weren't built to last 200 years they were built to stand with no idea of like what's coming down in the future so construction in an area like this is going to be a continuous um remodeling you know, expansion, making the home larger, these different things with populations of areas going from, you know, single family homes into residential multifamily just to get people enough space to live. Right. Because eventually some people are going to be priced out after this neighborhood expands so much. There's going to be a need for middle income to low income housing that's beautiful, clean and these different things. The best way to do that on an affordable scale, especially from an um, investment standpoint, is to put more rooms under one roof. So that's that's kind of where I see the market going overall. But that's also a great reason why, as builders, as remodelers, and everything, when we build something, we should be building the best possible product to last the longest time. Right? A lot. There's a lot of um, you know signs coming out in the high performance housing space and say like the perfect wall and, you know, trying to achieve passive home and these different types of criteria, but really what they're going after is like, okay, like I don't want rot to come up in 20 years on on my sheathing, right? Okay, trim, it's gonna happen, right? We're gonna have to replace the siding after 30, 40 years. Cedar just goes bad eventually. But the structural itself, we don't want the structure to fall. And that's what we're really going after. And I think that's what needs to be the emphasis going forward so that when we do remodeling, right, it's not a 70% teardown. It's, you know, a demolition of a week to tear off, you know, the side of a house and then add 750 square feet or go up a floor, right? We're not completely changing the building itself.
0: It's yeah, and that, and that makes sense. You know, that's um, like I said, I started doing that and, and I loved it because you get to take somebody's home that, you know, they've already been in usually for a period of time. They're attached to it. They love it, but they need more space or they need, you know, this and that. And to be able to deliver that, you know, that that was always the coolest part to me, like to be able to to take somebody's already house. You know, flip it on its ass and and make it bigger and, and make it exactly what they want now like to then hand them the keys and they can walk in with their kids. And that's new. That It was just awesome to me. That was the coolest feeling in the world.
2: It's, it's a blessing to be able to deliver that to people. And I think that, you know, the people that have never experienced it, say clients or contractors that have never delivered that. It's such a rewarding feeling that has far beyond any dollar value that can be put on it, right? Being sure. able to build out a new kitchen where the family's going to, cook their first Thanksgiving meal together, Um, you know, doing an addition so that their kids don't have to live in bunk beds anymore. Like, you know, like little Jane has her own room right now, right? And these different rewarding things because, you know, really what the clients are buying, they're buying memories and experiences. And that's going to affect the rest of their lives, right? It's going to be like, hey, remember back in, you know, 2002 when we had that beautiful you know, Christmas day um in our new living room that we previously just that wasn't a room. Like it wasn't part of our house. We wouldn't be able to have it. And it allows for families to get together to connect on different levels.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. They're they're buying they're buying future experiences, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's hard to put a price tag on.
2: Yeah. And that's and that's why the construction experience when we build it is so important, right? Yeah. I mean I got a I got a client right now um that we did some management work for and uh you know there's some issues and a tree needs to be replaced by his landscaper, right? And he's like, it's been five months he told me he was gonna do it, right? And he's like, All I'm gonna think about right now when I see I see that tree is like how I was lied to five months ago. And now when I see this new tree that's gonna be smaller than all the other trees, I'm gonna be thinking about that too, right? He's not gonna be thinking about how green that tree is. How good is yard looks. He's going to be thinking about that tree and how the bad experience that led up to it. For sure.
1: So, changing gears a little bit, we got on this prior to uh, kind of getting into the call and hitting the record button. But where do you see, like, you know, in, in having buildings at last and talking about the whole uh, like building material side of things mm-hmm. and whether things are going to last or not and this whole, um, green revolution like where do you see things like that going right especially doing a lot of residential work um you know granted in a higher end uh
2: area
1: (laughs) than probably most people are used to but like where do you see those like the building materials and kind of that whole um movement going
2: yeah so we see um a desire for affordable homes right and that's people were trying to solve that by you know doing these lego blocks foam structures right where the foundations foam walls are foam roofs foam and it creates this amazing um energy efficient home the piping and mechanicals you know are all done through tubes through the styrofoam there's different kits that they come out with that you can kind of cut through the walls and patch it and, and these different things right but so that's but that's going to be an issue right because that's only going to be a subset of the population but what happens when you need to do an addition right you are forced to use the same building materials that you were to construct that home which constrains people to that manufacturer to go back to right so there's there's definitely some different criteria right because there's no standards right a two by four standard i go to texas i'm going to buy a two by four maybe it's a different type of tree but the you know the lumber dimension is going to be the same Right. So and then on top of that, you know, these foam, the polystyrene and these different types of foam products, they're not actually that green, right? You can do studies on this. And it'd be even with the energy efficiency, right, that is retaining from using less energy to heat, cool the home and these different things, it's actually going to, need to be, you know, longer to recapture all that carbon that was spent making the building, right? however we can actually build homes right now today that are net positive on con- the day of construction completion or net zero right so what does that mean that means all the materials we built a home with captured carbon lumber captures captures carbon we can rebuild a, a force that we used to build a home in 20 years so from a you know a, the acre property i don't know the math we can rebuild that in 20 years. So every 20 years from that property, we can build a new home while we're capturing carbon doing it. Same thing with the insulation, mineral, these different things that are more energy, um, less consumption to actually make the products themselves. And that's where I see the best part of the green revolution going, right? Because most people think about what's the final result, but no one really does the calculation to get there. I mean, I think EV cars are a great example that we don't, we don't, the conversation is not really talked about, right? Like how much damage is done to actually make a battery? What is it, you know, what do we have to do when the battery has to be retired and, you know, repurposed? I don't even know what has to be done after that, but I'm sure it's not pretty, not easy to recycle it. So there's these different things and this, your home is the same exact way, right?
0: You you nailed it. And I'm glad you brought it up. We we refer to it usually as the fucking Tesla thing, but it, it's true. like all the foam right it's a we, we can get past all the manufacturing that that is spitting out more carbon than we, the three of us can even imagine but what happens when you have a, a fire god forbid right mm-hmm. and now you're burning that shit and it looks like east palestine ohio in your front yard that it's it's bad news all across the board and yeah it, it doesn't breathe as much and it it you know it it insulates the house better but uh they do the same shit with me, right? In commercial, we we are constantly, constantly trying to to improve the building envelopes and, and get continuous insulation and blah, 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 all this shit. But nobody looks at the manufacturing process or the mm-hmm. aftermarket or the after effects, rather. It's just, yeah. it's frustrating to say the least.
1: So there's two other things that like I want to bring up on the building material. One, if, especially if you're putting pipes in walls, everybody knows that's a bad idea. Like, it's just a bad idea. You know, you're with stuff like, you know, what I'm have winters in New York, right? If that pipe freezes, which again, if it's encased in concrete, it will be frozen. uh, That's bad. And this is a lot of the time what happens when you have people that don't actually design buildings for a living, trying to design buildings, right? They've not experienced winters or, you know, really hot summers and put these building materials through the test. So that's one. Number two, I mean, the, the expansion and all that stuff for it is is totally there, right? Like now you're going to cut into concrete because that's what all those foam blocks are filled with, right? They're filled with concrete. So now you have to be able to dispose of concrete, which you can do, but you got to cut through it. It's not easy. There's all those problems uh, with concrete side of it. And so the other thing that I wanted to bring up too is and this often gets left out, but is environmental air quality, right? So when you have a house that breathes and you actually get fresh air in, or like can open windows and stuff, you're going to have a better environment to live in than if you were in a, it's like being in an office building all the time, right? A closed environment, non-breathable space, like that doesn't bode well for anybody. And you're now making your home into a place where it's all recycled air, right? You're, Bringing everything back through, and that's not as great either for environmental air quality.
2: The the only thing I can say about that, right? And you're 100% correct because that's how most homes are built, right? That let's close it up, not breathe, because they're trying to have the most energy efficient. Now, it is proven that you can have better. It's actually better to have a closed home, right? Closed system home, completely sealed. But what happens is, is that a lot of times we forget about the air quality conversation. And to do that, right, we actually need an HVAC HVAC system that, you know, coincides with the fact that this is a closed up home, right? So we have to have fresh, fresh air makeup kits, we have to have dehumidifiers, we have to have, you know, the proper heating and cooling systems. So that way, when we pull the air out, you know, from our kitchen hood, we're bringing air back in, right? When we have our toilet fan on, we're not creating a negative pressure environment, we're actually bringing fresh air back into the space that is filtered. Conditioned these different things, right? I don't think that it's I think it's better longevity to have a closed home. However, it's a real problem when we forget to make the five grand investment in the foresight to put in a fresh air makeup kit and a dehumidifier. Like that's when like we really start having the problems. And to, you know, go back to these, you know, sip panels and these different things, you know, and and affordable housing, you know, we get really trapped on this short-term mentality, right? Of like how can we provide the most cheap affordable homes today with the being the most efficient but i always have the long game in mind in in mind, long game in mind right so what does that mean it's like what does this look like a hundred years from now when this neighborhood is all two and three bedrooms right but now you know your mother-in-law or your your father needs to move back into the home and you have the money for the addition. But like now you have to get a specialty contractor that's trained in doing that. And he's gonna be twenty five percent more than if it was regular stick framed, you know, or you know, you know, timber construction. And I just don't see it paying off in the long run. I think it's better to say, Okay, let's let's spend, you know, an extra fifteen percent and have a home that's gonna last two hundred years. And if we wanna make the remodeling to it in additions, we can do it.
0: There's always a marriage of of form and function and budget, right? <clears throat> there, there's ways to do to kind of get the best of both worlds and, and compromise so that you can yeah. do just what you're saying. You don't have to go all in on, on one side or the other. You, know, you just, you got to find that happy medium.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I want to switch gears myself a little bit. Um, Patrick, I got to tell you, you, you have some fantastic content that you're putting out on social media. Um, I've been following you for a while now you know, you do stuff like owning mistakes. You're one mm. that, that I I noted recently when you, one of your hydronic pipes broke under the floor or something like that. And
2: and yeah. you're,
0: you're out there talking about it and explaining the fix that that was cool to see because not many people do it. Um, So I wanted to ask you, do you have any tips like for the rookies in the social media game? Like, like this old man here, who's, you know, running a construction company and, and you know, I, I post pictures of our crap. You know, but there's a there's a different vibe you get when you look at somebody like yourself who's, you know, you're getting these polished videos. You got you got graphics, you got all the good shit, and it's and it's um it's constant, right? You're you're efficient with it. You're always seeing it, so it's it's good to watch.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. And a lot of those, you know, owning up to mistakes and everything, it comes with this idea of like integrity and building that. We built a project, but when the project's over, we're not running away from it, right? And if we make mistakes, we gotta be there, right? Especially the young guys. Like if you're in your twenties, you got 30 more years in this, right? At least. It's like what is your town? What is your are you gonna be moving around? Are you only gonna be in this for five years? Because if you're only in it for five years, let's just cut it. Let's just cut to the chase. Do everything cheap, do everything, you know, half wit and just make as much profit as you can, hire all, you know, legal guys don't have the proper insurances and all this stuff. But if you want to make a company that's going to make a true impact on your community, one that, you know, is going to be around the company that when architects or designers or whatever, it's like, or subs, you're like, who's the best contractor in town? It's like, well, listen, this, this company over here, right? That's, they they do everything above board. You could say what you want about them, but they're always there and that's that's where i really try to shoot from that and you know sharing some of our mistakes is that hey listen you know there's a there's also a fix to all these mistakes too and they happen and no one really cares about i'm i'm sure you guys have seen this in in the construction with your clients like yeah the, the mistakes up front they take it with pain up front but you also just create an opportunity to solve a problem for them and a lot of times the long term they're much much happier for you to create to solve that problem rather than the problem never happening because you just prove that you are the man or woman that you spoke to, that you were about
0: that's a great point man you, you prove you're you're the guy that sold them the job right there's a reason they they picked you and you're you're reinforcing that for them it's a good way to look at it yeah yeah
1: i mean i've never had a project that didn't have a problem
0: somewhere you no. <laughs> <No. laughs> like, and and that was
1: usually the because every project had a problem on it, the people that couldn't solve problems end up getting thrown off the job at some point. You know, mm-hmm. and if it's not this job, it'll be the next. And, you know, in construction, for all you guys that have been around a while, you know how hard it is to actually get somebody thrown off a job. But I've seen it happen, you know, over well, I've seen it happen a few times, you know, and luckily we've never been the the people that have gotten thrown off the job. But, you know, whether it's a contractor or the GC or somebody else, you know, like it's usually because they couldn't solve the problem, right? They wanted to pump blame down the road and they wouldn't fix whatever was broken. Um and that's when people, you know, part ways is not because there there was a problem, but because you couldn't solve it.
2: Very good point.
0: So Patrick, we're kind of pushing up against time here. Um but you brought up a a great topic before we hit record and I, I want to hear your take on it. You, you mentioned my uh, my issue with our local uh, facility and yeah. and you alluded to the fact that you've had uh, perhaps a similar issue or, or experience. So I, I want, I'm all ears, man. I want to hear it.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, we go to the store called Naples, you know,
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, so, you know, the printing products, right. It's a great analogy of a lot of things we do in life and in business is we accept second class because of some weird um you know conversation that we have with ourselves that it's easier when in reality we always get burned right so i've had this happen so many times i send in my order and i don't get like the confirmation that's printed for like three days right so the call off they're like oh yeah we have it right here we'll have it ready for you in two hours right or like it says it's supposed to be ready but it's incorrect right there's no quality control in there and these different things right But ultimately, what it comes down to is that, like, that's why you got the binding machine, right? To, you know, get rid of like these things that are easy, but tomorrow creates so many more headaches. I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I've done this, but we just keep accepting like the false reality of this is so much easier and better rather than finding a new solution to the problem.
0: It's this this culture of mediocrity that we've all allowed to pervade every aspect of our lives. And if you don't stop it, it, it's just like a virus, man. And it'll, it'll infect you as a person. It'll infect your company, you know, and then it just keeps growing. It infects your, uh, your neighborhood, you know, your, your everything culture, culture mm-hmm. fails when mediocrity, mediocrity wins. And yeah. And no offense to our friends at, that store, but they're, they're good at, at using as examples.
1: Yeah. Like, well, I mean, so my example for this is really through like engineering firms where not necessarily the mediocrity thing, but believing that not changing will save you. Right. And so like, this is a lot to do with like systems process right the way that we do things great you know and why change it and this goes to you know us talking about building materials like the things that we use today are great you know why should we change it and so as we go through a lot of these it's it's going through the pros cons list but a lot of people really see something that they're they're using or what they're doing as like the best way and there's no other alternatives right everything gets like shoved to the side they don't think it's good or whatever and then you end up having these conversations around like well why does this take so long well this is the way we do things and it it takes as long as it takes um and versus like trying to like like either incrementally improve or put in new systems so like i've seen this over and over again where because nothing is actually like timed right we don't actually know how long something takes to do we can't like ever improve it, right, is because you don't know how long it takes, you put in a new system, there's no like apples to apples comparison. And that's like a, just in a lot of things, right? You think something takes forever, you know, and really it, it doesn't take that long at all, but you've never timed it, right? It feels like forever, um, but it's not that bad, you know, when you actually get down to it. And I think there's a lot of that too, that reluctance to to change, the reluctance to to go through a new process or product, you know, like Matt, thinking that this buying machine's going to save them all this time uh, or like exporting it will save you all this time when, you know, hey, just taking it yourself, it's faster, easier,
2: cheaper. <laughs> I see this a lot. You know, it's a great example, especially in residential, but I, I've seen it. on I, I got spec'd out on commercial projects too, is liquid membrane waterproofing. It is almost impossible to achieve the proper thickness to get the warranty and the rating on waterproof membrane, the liquid applied membrane. Secondly, all the corners get messed up because you have the globs in the corner. It's a two-day process. And then on top of that, it, it actually fails. You can look at any single study, a bathtub, you know, filled up with a liquid membrane. It just peels and flakes apart after a day. But yet we still have guys and architects, designers, blah, 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 Specking out liquid membrane, waterproofing, cement board, and these different things. Now there's certain instances that it is required, but why make that the primary system when it's, it's, it's inferior, it's been proven to be inferior. And you look at the cost, right? If you use like any sheet membrane, like Schluter, there's tons of other products out there right now. It's actually cheaper in terms of labor. Cause I can, I can go waterproof a shower with, with a sheet membrane in two hours and that that includes mixing the thin set applying it and everything right and then i could tile right there i could i could theoretically waterproof and tile a bathroom in one day or i can make this a three-day event
1: yeah i mean that's such a bigger problem right you have and this is speaking as an engineer right like i've never been piped in my life so you know you have people that spec things that haven't built things and then you have The other side of it is, like, we're the design side is so disconnected from cost that you know what's actually more cost effective, we have no clue, right? That's not the world that we live in all the time. So you have a a cost, price, time disconnect, and then shit specs are left to last. Let's be real here, like we don't. Or like, hey, this is what we use for residential, and they just throw it out the door, right? It's It's sheet specs, not even a sheet book, like a spec book. And like, here you go. And it's been the same way for the last 30 years. So if there's a new product, it didn't make it on those specs. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is, you know? And specs are like the last thing that ever gets updated. Nobody really cares. It's, are the drawings good? And then let's get it out the door. Um, and usually like in architecture firms, it can go both ways, but where the the spec guy doesn't actually work on the projects they just do specs and then they talk to the designers for it and then you get all these other i mean there's a lot of problems in like how that works but this is a uh innate to the industry of having one-offs right and so much custom work that takes all that time to like think through the project how's this going to work you know like trying to get a new innovative thing out the door right in the form of a custom building you know i i'm speaking on like the commercial side right everything mm-hmm. we do one off unique yet you know these basic things like specs just don't get dealt with right or what your standard is you know should have changed but didn't and you know you're still using like or allowing set screws for conduit you know versus mm-hmm. couplings and stuff like that like there's a lot of things that you can go through and that'll make a project cheaper, but it won't be built as you know well, right? Like using set screws versus couplings for conduit. So, and there's you know like those examples that you're given on um, thin set and membranes and everything else. Granted, it's just a much bigger portion of the project, but it goes back to like our age old conversation of uh, you know the disconnect that from design to estimation to the field to you know everything else which you know matt's actual uh true design build process is a lot better than you know how everything else gets
2: done for that
1: very reason because and there's that's what, a disconnect
2: and that's what i was going to ask uh matt on the commercial side what have you seen to um you know kind of alleviate that problem of inferior building products or methods and it seems like you really take the approach through um the design build is that correct
0: we do, and we we kind of take it to the extreme. Um, like Dylan just kind of alluded to, we we call it true design build, where we as the builder are the tip of the spear, right? Mm-hmm. We our clients hire us first, and we go and and find the architects and engineers and and all the consultants, and we hold their contracts. And so, what it allows us to do is to sit at the same table with them. You know, we're not architect averse or engineer averse uh, usually. But we can all sit at the same table, and while they're drawing their pictures and, and engineering their calculations, we can st- sit there and say, "All right, well, it's a great idea. That's a great product, but here's what it does to the budget. So now let's reel that back in, and, and let's go this route." You know, and it's a way more collaborative approach than than the old school, where you know, client hires an architect, and architect hires the engineer. Architect finds the you know the three lowest bids, and and all mm-hmm. that shit. And it just total different way of doing business, you know, but it, um, it I think it, it results in a much less stressful project for everybody. Um, we build faster, you know, we build for, for lower cost because of it. There's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of benefits I could rattle off, but, but yeah, man. And, and I think you can do that in, in residential too. You know, it's, yeah. it's just, it's a matter of changing customers' mindsets. That's my biggest challenge every day is trying yeah. to trying to spin that old school narrative that like they have to go to the architect first. Well, no, you don't. And here's why.
2: And that's, that's what I was going to say on my side is it's a lot easier to swap out some, you know, building materials and these different things or to make recommendations in the field because like the relationships with the clients of a homeowner are completely different than in the commercial realm. Right. A lot yeah. of times the, the builder and and the client don't even, you don't even talk to the client. You talk to their client reps. And they are like hardly adverse, you know. You know, in construction, a lot of them are just budget managers, and want to, you know, the you have to break everything down, so you can have those conversations. And then on the second step, you're working with large architectural firms, right? Where a lot of times you're not working with the primary architect, you're working with their draftsman or these different things. At least in my experience, in the big projects I was on, so like making those recommendations would be very, very hard, and. It, it's a, it would be a very complicated process, especially when you have to go through submittals and everything is completely detailed out. It's like, what do you, it, your, your hands are kind of tied in that situation.
1: Yeah. yeah. Once a project goes to bid, you're in the commercial world, you're kind of, yeah, there ain't it's, much change.
0: That's where projects go to die. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> for, for me, though, I can waterproof a bathroom and do a better method and virtually not even tell anybody, Right right Well, There's it's important,
1: right? That's yeah, and that's the the difference, right? Is that you're you're unsupervised, is what I'll say in that yeah. context, right? Like you're you bid it, you do it. There's no like oversight, which is what mm-hmm. a spec really is. To you're you do what you say you're going to do, and here's how we hold you to account in the commercial world. Mm-hmm. And so, which is again the hurdle that I think a lot of people have is it goes to paperwork right like yeah you to change something is totally fine and then to change it in the commercial world you know there's more paperwork to it to change it in like the federal projects world like we just had on you know to change it in the federal world just kiss kiss it goodbye you know like it ain't gonna happen so you know it's it's just the different levels of paperwork and approvals to to get things done mm-hmm. um with that, Patrick, where can they find you? I know we're running up on time here.
2: Yeah, so a lot of our content right now, educational, project stories, things like that, that's on our YouTube page. That's going to be if you really want to follow our journey. And that can be found at just searching Momentous Building. We'll probably, I'll give you the link on, on yep. YouTube. My Instagram is Mr. Project Patrick. That's kind of going to be where we throw some clips up there, kind of the full, cool, you know, finished photos that are Instagram flashy. You guys can reach out to me on Facebook or um, LinkedIn if you guys have some questions directly, but I'm an open book and I would love a chat. If you guys have any questions,
0: Patrick, I really appreciate you coming on, man. This was a fun conversation.
2: This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Dylan. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Thanks Patrick. And uh, guys, make sure to share these shows. We're having a ton of guests on. We're booked out till summer uh, with everybody. So if you like these conversations, want to have more people on, uh, you're in luck because we're gonna have a ton of, ton of awesome guests. You know, from anywhere from again residential and what uh, Patrick's doing, a commercial guys to federal guys. You know, everyone across the spectrum. So, thank you all so much for listening. And until.